being able to speak or be with any of our View family is just incredible. And uh, just to say that you guys do have some of the best pastors in our city, if not our nation. And uh, myself and Kelly really do look forward, uh, look forward, look up to, and look forward because they are ahead of us anyway. Uh, in age, obviously, Jason. I'm not going. I know. You know what happened? I had hair, and then I started a church, and then yeah, that's what happened. You know, the glory is actually just so hectic. It just burned up all the hair. It's just crazy. That's all I got. If this is your first weekend with us at View Church Mountain, um, please come back. <laughs> Do not judge the caliber of this church and the standard of today's preaching. Uh, there's one far greater than I, who is the pastor of this church, and uh, he will preach way more succinctly, more theologically correct. If there's any heresy, just make a note of it. Send to Jason and uh, send to, to Mofatin. He'll help me out. Um, but um, before we con- uh, continue with the service today, I've only got a couple moments to share with you, and um, I'll just, we're going to pray in a moment, but uh, this morning as I woke up and I was, I was praying for the services across our city and services across all our churches, uh, trusting God for people to meet with Him and for people to come alive and people to be encouraged, people to be blessed, restored. I believe anything can happen in the presence of God. Um, I was reminded about three aspects of prayer. And God, yeah, I just laid on my heart to actually just do a, a small study about prayer. And so I went into my little uh, office and took one of the books off the shelves that I got at the cemetery, I mean seminary, when I studied there. It's a great joke. And um, it's called Theology of Prayer. And uh, I was reminded on the very first paragraph of three things that happen when you pray, subliminally. You might not be conscious of them, um, but there's three things that happen when you pray. The first thing that happens when you pray is that you're actually saying, God, you exist. When you pray, you're actually saying, God, you're real. You are real. That's the first thing you say before you say anything. You're actually saying, God, you're real. The second thing that happens when you pray, you're saying, God, you're close enough to hear me. When you pray, I'm not praying to the scene, God, you're close enough to hear me. In fact, you're so close. I don't have to use my words. God, you hear my heart. That's how close you are to me today. Right now, as I pray, you are real and you're so close that you can hear my heart. And the third thing that you're saying is that, God, that you love me so much, you answer my prayer. You're real, you're with me, and you answer my prayer. Before you've even begun to you know, say anything in your heart and mind towards the Lord, by you taking the posture of prayer and saying, God, I want to communicate with you right now. It's just a conversation with God. Prayer is just a big word to have a conversation with the Lord. Before you've said anything or thought anything or felt anything, you've said three things. God, you're real. God, you're close. And God, you love me. And I just want to encourage you today. Maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. That's okay. I want to encourage you. The Bible says that God scans the face of the earth. Not scanned, scans, continuous. Right now, he's looking. He's scanning the face of the earth to see whose hearts would be turned towards him that he might give them some strength. Anyone need some strength at the end of 2019? Come on. Need some strength going into 2020? Believe in God for greater things? Well, the Bible says, that cannot lie. The Bible cannot lie. That says the God of the universe is scanning, looking for you right now. If you would turn your heart towards him, do you know how do I turn my heart towards him? You give him your attention. Attention is just another word for access. You give him access to your mind, give him access to your heart and to your life and saying, God, won't you speak? I'm listening. I'm listening to your word. Uh, My mind is open. My heart is receptive to what you want to say to me today. And as you do that, as we pray in a moment, I really believe that God's going to pour out some strength into your heart. He's going to pour some strength out into your life. And we see God do great things. Amen. So come on, let's just pray for a moment. Don't just listen to me pray. Begin to talk to God in your heart. 
Just say, God, you're real. God, you're close. God, you love me. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are in this place. I thank you that when the King is present, darkness is absent. That when you are in the room, there is liberty, which means freedom and fullness of joy. God, we don't have to do anything, God. We don't have to wear the right clothes or say the right words or even do the right things, God. We can just be in your presence. And God, we just thank you for the great gift of accepting us as we are. We pray today that you would speak to us. We pray today that we would be changed, that you'd receive glory and that we would become more like your hands and feet on this earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I just got some small thoughts that I want to share with you today. I'm praying it's going to encourage you today. My gift is encouragement. And so um, that's what I do. I encourage myself all the time. I talk to myself all the time. And Because you know what? You don't, you don't believe anyone more than you believe yourself. That's the truth. And so I look in the mirror and say, hey, good looking. How did you get you? You know? Anyway, I don't do it in front of people, obviously. I'm not crazy. But the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. But you don't have to do that today because I want to encourage you. Is that okay? And so we in the first chapter of the book of Matthew, verse 23, and it says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. That in and itself is miraculous. I know we just read it because if you've been in church for long enough, that's just something part of the narrative. Hey, it's part of the story. But it's truly miraculous. I don't know about you, but usually it takes two to tango. This tells me it doesn't. Anyway. Says so she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Can we say that together? One, two, three. God is with us. God is with us. What an incredible truth. You know, some seasons you may feel like God is silent, but he is never absent. I mean, when the disciples were going through the storm, they went down and saw that he was sleeping, said, Don't you care? Sometimes we think God doesn't care when he's silent, but it doesn't mean he's absent, he's always present. And so I want to encourage you, the enemy might isolate you and say, you are alone. You are never alone. God is always with you. We celebrate this time of year. I pray it's not just an annual reminder, but a daily work. It's a daily conviction that God is with me. How often do we forget who's with us? We forget who's with us. And you know, you gain incredible strength. I don't know about you, but I gain incredible strength when I have someone with me who's been through a similar season. So, a lot of our care ministries at View Church are birthed by people who've gone through tough seasons who now walk hand in hand with other people going through that same season. So like if you've been through heartache or divorce or your business is going through a tough time or a tough financial season, to have someone that's with you gives you incredible strength. Anyone can testify to that. Just say, I know, and you know they're not just giving you lip service. They're like, I know what you're going through right now. I've been through that. And I can encourage you that God is still faithful on the other side. It doesn't change your problem, but it releases a lot of power in your perspective that you are not alone. Well, the Bible tells us that we do not serve a high priest who cannot empathize with what we go through. He's gone through everything we go through and he goes with us when we go through it. I pray you gain incredible strength from that thought and that revelation that Jesus went through everything and is with us going through the things that we go through today. God is with us. In Genesis 28, Jacob says something amazing. He says, he woke up from the sleep and said, surely the Lord was in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. He said he was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. I'm encouraged by the fact it says that Jacob was not aware of God, but it never says that God was unaware of Jacob. 
We go through seasons, I've gone through seasons where I was unaware of God, but He was surely in that place. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that anything is hidden in the sight of God. In fact, it says nothing is hidden in the sight of God. That I may be unaware of Him, but He has never been unaware of you. Even today, maybe it's the first time in a long time you're in church. That's okay. God has never been unaware of you. He's always been watching His children. He's always been watching. Will this be the day they come home? Will this be the day they respond? He's always been with you. In fact, the psalmist says it like this in Psalm 139, verse 7. He says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with the wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunsets, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible. Everyone say impossible. It's impossible to disappear from you. Or ask the darkness to hide me for your presence is everywhere bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. I thought that maybe the psalmist got it wrong. I thought he should have said there's no such thing as darkness to you, of which he alludes to that later. But I think he was right, actually. He said there's no such thing as darkness when I'm with you. Darkness has no bearing on me when I'm with you. It says the night to you is as bright as the day. There is no difference between the two. This dawned on me as I was reading the text that the sun has never set on God. The sun has never set on God which means that he's not subject to the seasons that we are subject to. Maybe nighttime here, don't, just because it's dark doesn't mean he's further away. He doesn't see the night or the day. They are the same to him. Is this making any sense? So don't, just because it gets night, just because it gets dark doesn't mean he gets further away because he's not subject to the season. He's not subject to the day or night. They are the same to him. And so even in your darkness, you've got to know that God is present. In fact, right in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, scholars would contend that if you can believe the first verse, you'd have no problem with believing the rest of the Bible. Because if you really believe that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, surely it wouldn't be too much to believe that God can separate the Red Sea. Surely it wouldn't be too much to believe that God can multiply some fish and loaves. Surely it wouldn't be too hard to believe that God can heal a marriage or restore a relationship or bring the dead back to life or provide for your family or give you a job. Surely that's not too hard to believe. If we believe the first verse, we can have faith for the rest of the journey. Amen? It says, in the beginning, God uh, created the heavens and earth and the earth was formless and void. That word formless means to not have any order. And the Apostle Paul, he writes in Corinthians that we do not serve a God of disorder, but a God of peace. He didn't say the God of disorder, but a God of order. He says of peace. So the opposite of disorder is not order, it's peace. And so if you feel like you have a little bit of formlessness in your life, a little bit of disorder, you can't really put your finger on it, but there's no peace, it's because you don't have the right order. You may have all the elements in the equation, but perhaps the equation is in the wrong order. Maybe you have God part of your life, but He's somewhere in the equation. He's not first. Well, the Bible tells me that if you put him first, he adds all these other things unto you. I want to encourage you, this Christmas season, you can have peace when you have order. Put God first and you'll have peace in your heart. It was formless and void, which means it was empty. If you've ever been through a tough season where you feel empty. And then God said something awesome. He said, let there be light. My church didn't know that. Someone said, let there be light. No, I'm joking. 
We're on the other side of the Burvos curtain. That's where we live. So I'm joking. I'm joking. We were breaking bread that day anyway. Communion. Again, come back to churches. I'm not the pastor here. I'm just here to cause some trouble. Um, he said, there's a recurring theme throughout the process of creation. The Bible says, the Lord said, let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. Did you know that God says you're wonderful? Did, he say, did you know he says you're beautiful? That you're wonderfully and fearfully made? You're the head and not the tail? Let there be and there was. He speaks a benediction over you. He intercedes for you 24-7. Jesus stands, sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on your behalf, which means no matter how many bad words anyone has ever said to you, 24-7, 365, Jesus says good words over your life. Let there be and there was. He said, let there be light. And in my mind, maybe perceptually or conceptually, I, I thought that, that that meant the sun, but we read on in creation that the sun was only created on the fourth day, but he said, let there be light on the first day. So he wasn't talking about the S-U-N, he was talking about the S-O-N, day one. Because John 8 tells me that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so when God said, let there be light, he said, let there be Jesus, let there be the presence of God. The foundation of creation is the presence of God. He is transcendent, which means everywhere, but He's also imminent. He is right here, right now. Let there be, and there was. He said the light will separate the darkness from each other. That's what Jesus is called to do in your life. I'm the light of the world. And now He says, you go be the light to the world. Let there be, and there was God with us. Now, it's one thing to have someone with you, and there's another thing to have someone for you. Now, how many people know that not everyone who's with you is for you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just sit at a Christmas table. Oh, they're there. Sorry, can you tell her to tell him to pass me the salt? I said, tell her to tell him, pass me the salt. He's right next. I, who? I didn't see them. Huh? Not everyone who's with you is for you. But the God of the Bible that I read says that he is with me. And not only is he with me, he is for me. God is for you. Imagine that. The God of the universe is for His children. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to all these things? He's calling them. What shall we conclude? What shall we uh, come? What's our conclusion at the end of all these things? What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this is not an isolated scripture. If you're going to interpret scripture, this is how you do it. This is a quick you know, hermeneutics 101, which is the art and science of interpreting Scripture. You just zoom out, you read a paragraph before, paragraph afterwards, and you find out where the Scripture finds itself in the text. Does it make sense? Well, this Scripture is not actually, doesn't only find its, te- its context in the immediate verses preceding and following. Actually, this is a conversation that he started in the fifth chapter and he's concluding in the eighth chapter. For three chapters, Paul goes on to put together an argument of how for God is for you. He goes for chapter after chapter after chapter. God is for you, God is for you, God is for you. Can we just take a quick glimpse of each chapter? We're not going to read each one, so don't worry. People are like, oh Lord, help me. The one Sunday I come to church, the pastor's going to read the whole Bible. He started from Genesis and we're going through. No, I just want to take a couple of snapshots of just, I just want to highlight how for God is for you. He is so for you. I think we forget about who's with us and who's for us. In chapter five, it says from verse eight, 
But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what shall we say in conclusion to this? Not even our sin can stand against me. Chapter 6. From verse 4, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What shall we say in response to all these things? Not even my past can stand against the God that I serve. Chapter 7, I'm just going to summarize it. He's really saying, the thing that I want to do is the thing that I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. Therefore, I cannot... You know, the conclusion I come to is not me who's doing it, but the sin who living, that's living in me that's doing this unwelcome visitor. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gave His Son, Jesus, to deliver me uh, from, the, from the law of sin and death. Not even the law can stand against me. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What shall we say in response to all these things? God is so for you. God is continually with you. You need to remind the enemy that you're not alone. Sometimes you feel alone, but that's not the truth. How many people know that feelings aren't always true realities? Don't allow your feelings to dictate your future. Allow the truth to guide your path. His word is a lamp unto my feet. That's what the Bible says. It's the truths of God that will lead us into a greater tomorrow. He is with me. He is for me. The only question that remains to be answered is, am I with Him and am I for Him? I want to remind us that when Jesus died and the veil was torn in the temple, there was a temple and there was a veil and there was a holy place and there was a big thick veil and there was the most holy place. And that, that really kept the covenant of God, which was the presence of God back in the day. And what happened was when Jesus died, it said it tore this veil from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. It wasn't from earth to heaven, it was from heaven to earth. And the reason why the veil tore wasn't so that God could get out. The reason why the veil tore was so that we could get in. He is with me. He is for me. But am I with Him? Am I for Him? Will I decide to choose to walk with my God daily as He is with me? I say, God, I choose to be with you. The Bible says in John 15 verse 5, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. You are the branches. It says, if you remain in me. You've got a decision to make. If you remain in me and I knew you will bear much fruit. How many people want to bear a lot of fruit in 2020? I want to bear lank fruit in 2020. I want to be like fruit and veg. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> Come to me. Hello. You know, I just want to be, you're getting fruit. You're, you're all getting fruit. Like, d -d 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 like fruit. Anyway, just shoot fruit everywhere. It's great. You will bear much fruit. when you're. But apart from me, you can do nothing if you remain in me. There's a choice that remains to be made. God has made His choice. The choice that He made was to be with you. The choice that He's made is to be for you. Will you make a decision today? You may not have been able to choose the way you started 2019. Will you choose today how you finished 2019? Will you choose to be with Him? Will you choose to be for Him? I'm thinking of three young boys, Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shake the bed, make the bed, and under the bed you go. That's how you remember it. Write that down. That's some good theology. Right there. Shake the bed, make the bed, under the bed you go. And uh, they prayed to God three times a day. This king named Nebuchadnezzar built this huge statue of himself. And he said, every time the siren goes, everyone must bow where they are towards the statue. These three young boys refused to bow. 
How many people know that the very things, various things in life will ask you to bow? Money will ask you to bow at some point. You become its servant as opposed to it serving you. How do you know that? Do you know, how do you know I'm a servant of something? Well, wherever you draw life from, you'll give worship to. Wherever you draw life from, you'll give worship to. If you draw life from your salary, sometimes you're like, you know, okay, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the salary came in, thank you, Jesus. Sometimes you need draw, you draw life, you'll give worship to that thing. And it'll ask you to bow. Peer pressure will ask you to bow. Society will ask you to bow. These three boys said, we will not bow. And so King Nebuchadnezzar put on the furnace, if you know the account very well. This wasn't a metaphorical fire, like, oh, it's like on a screen. Have you seen those iPad and the apps? No, no, it was like a furnace. It was like, oh, that's really hot. Yeah, I can feel it right now. It's pretty warm. It's getting hot in here. Sorry. And, uh, and he says, I'm going to chuck you in there if you don't bow. There was a consequence to not bowing. There was a sacrifice to not bowing. There was a risk to not bowing. Sometimes as Christians, we need to count that cost and say, I will still not bow. These three young Hebrew boys said, our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. You know, they didn't serve God out of convenience. They served God out of conviction. It's one thing to serve God when it's convenient, but there's a whole nother dimension of worship that happens when you serve Him out of a conviction. It's called the sacrifice of praise. That means I praise God whether I feel like it or not. That's what I'm praying that that would be a weight. I want that for my children. Anyone with that for them children? That they'll serve God so deeply, so passionately. It doesn't matter what their friends are doing. I'm going to serve God. Well, you know you put that in your children, you put that in your own heart. You say, God, I know you're with me. I know you're for me. I'm gonna decide today that I am with you. I am for you no matter high, low, in, out, good, bad, in sickness and health. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna stand for you. Jermaine can get up on the keys and he's next level. He's got them spurred fingers. He actually just soaks his hands in anointing oil for six days of the week. And on the seventh day, he plays the keyboard. And it's just, it's lank oily there because it's just anointing. Anyway, sorry about that. And uh, earlier this year, we did a series called Hope in the Dark. And we are introduced to this prophet. And this prophet name is Habakkuk. And um, there's three chapters, so it's a really short book. So it's really cool. That's why I read it. I was like, easy. Anyway, and um, this prophet is unique. He's called a minor prophet, but he's got a major message. message. Um, most prophets bring a message from God to the people. He was bringing a message from the people to God. He loved the people. You know, this church is full of people who love people, packed with people who love people. You know, I love people because God loves people. He loves people. And he says, God, I look around me and I see my brothers and sisters suffering. I see injustice on the rise. I see the righteous falling and the unrighteous prevailing. God, why? How can you allow this? Have you ever thought about that? As it, you know, you're like, how can, even what's happening in our nation, some of the things happening, we need to pray for our nation. God, how can this happen? So much injustice. And he brings this complaint before God in chapter one. In chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, nothing has changed except for his posture. He's, he's, he's still, he's still, things are still going down. But he says, I will wait and watch and see what the Lord has to say to me right now. And I will not move until He speaks. Some of us need to hear a word from God and not another word from man. You don't need to see the open door or the opportunity arise. You need to say, God, I'm going to wait for you. Nothing else has happened. Nothing else has changed. But I'm going to stand here and wait and watch to see from where my help comes from the hills. 
in chapter 3, nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. The season has not shifted. Except his spirit has grown. He starts chapter 3 very differently than he has from chapter 1 and chapter 2. Nothing has changed. People still in suffering. And he says, this word describes his praise. He begins to worship God. Sounds like a dodgy word. It's not a dodgy word. It's a biblical word. I didn't make it up. The word they use to describe the kind of praise that this man gives God is shijanoth. I shijanoth. What were you thinking? Anyway. And, uh, and this word, you know what it means? It means exuberant praise. It means worship with everything inside of him. Worship with his mind, with his heart, with his strength, with his words. Worship with everything. He says, nothing has changed in chapter one. Nothing still changes in chapter two. Nothing has changed in chapter three, except for my spirit has now grown. In the midst of the storm, I will worship you and praise you no matter what. That is when I'm saying, He is with me. He is for me, but I am also with Him. I am also for Him. And I will praise Him for who He is and not what's happening around me. If Jesus was here today, which I believe He is, I believe He would say this to us this morning. He would encourage you with His own words. He would say, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life. For I am your humble oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and easy to please. You'll find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require will be pleasant and easy to bear. As I conclude, just key things. God's with you in this season. Maybe you're in darkness. Remember, God said, let there be light. Let there be sun. God is with you. God is for you. There's a great cloud of witnesses who worship with you. When no one else sees, they see and they're, they're cheering you on. Make a decision to respond today. Say, God, I'm with you as you are with me. I am for you as you are for me. In the best, in the worst, in the ups and the downs, that's not going to change God. Help me through your grace to stand. Help me through your grace to continue to worship God. As we move forward into 2020, I want to know you greater, Jesus. I haven't got much time left. In fact, I'm over time. But real quick, there's, there's a story of Jesus going to Samaria. And he goes to this town called Sychar, which actually means the drunkards. How crazy a town got to be to call it the drunkards. Sherbet. Anyway. It says that he sits down on Jacob's well because he was tired. How many people know that we all sit down next to wells when we're tired. Various wells. Could be a well of a relationship, materials, a mindset. We all sit down at different wells when we're tired. A woman comes, the Samaritan woman comes, and Jesus asks for a drink. And He says, if you only knew who I was and the gift that God has prepared for you, you would ask me for something. And I would give you life that you would never thirst again. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're tired of going back to the same wells and staying thirsty. Jesus said, if you're tired, come to me today. Come sit at my well. I'm the well of living water. And I'll give you some water that you'll never thirst again. As you go into this Christmas season, I think that's the greatest gift you receive. Can we close our eyes for a moment? If you're sitting here today and you've gone to different wells, maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like no one's for you. Let me just speak this over you today. God is with you right now. God is for you right now. And He invites you right now 
to come sit at his well, to drink from his water, that you might not thirst again. You wouldn't have to go back to that place again. You wouldn't have to do those things again, but that you would feel from the inside out a fountain of living water. If that's you this morning, saying, Dino, that's me. I'm giving my heart to God. I'm not doing the same thing over and over again. I believe today God's called me home. I believe that He's with me today and He wants a relationship with me in this moment. Saying, Dino, that's me. Then just pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on my behalf. Jesus, you are real. I accept you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. Say this in your heart. I declare I am a new creation. The old has truly gone. The new has truly come. Jesus, I thank you that while I was lost and a sinner, your love chased me down and you've met me here. And I'm so grateful that you accept me as I am and that you want to have a relationship with me. In Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.